Friends, please pray with me. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak through us. Holy Spirit, speak in spite of us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. Some of you may know if I've shared some stories with you that Spain is my happy place. Spain. I, I love going to Spain. I like saying to people, Spain taught me to eat. I didn't eat like I did until I got to Spain. The tapas and when you eat what and how long you eat it for. Lunches are not 45 minutes. They're two and three hours. Dinners are not at five or six. They're at nine at the earliest and they're two to three hour events. Their time with friends and laughter and friendship. And when I had traveled to Spain, maybe for the seventh, eighth time, I remember sharing with some family friends that we have out there and saying, you know something I noticed? You guys never, ever talk about dieting. You never talk about calories. You never talk about how much fat is in your meal. No, instead you eat a lot of pork, you drink a lot of wine and have a lot of cheese. <laughs> and they kind of looked at me and laughed. I just said, I, I, I just find that remarkable because in the United States, it seems that's all I'm ever told. In fact, the menu is always telling me how many calories there are in the meal I'm having. And that's if a friend hasn't told me first. We have a weird relationship with food. One more thing I'll say about this, the Spanish trip where I, I remarked this with some friends. I asked them, do you know about the Mediterranean diet? They looked at me and laughed. They had never heard of it. I figured we were in the Mediterranean. They might know something, but apparently that's a, an American diet based, of course, on how they eat in the Mediterranean. That's just ordinary life out there. We have a weird relationship with food, I think, especially in, in this country. The diets, the many diets that have been very successful for their founders. I don't know if they've been so successful for their users. The Atkins diet, the South Beach diet, so you can look good on South Beach. The Hollywood celebrity diet seems that celebrities are always the experts on what to eat and when to eat it because we want to look like them. So as we talk about fasting, we of course have to talk about food and diet. Did you know that you fast probably every day when you go to sleep, instead of eating, you're sleeping, and when you wake up, you break fast. You have breakfast. You may also fast on those special days like Thanksgiving when your parents say, don't ruin your appetite. There's a big meal today. So you might go the whole day not eating just to wait for that big meal. You may also fast in smaller ways like not having dessert before dinner. 
You hold off on some things because you know you, you might enjoy the meal more and you might enjoy the dessert more if you wait for it, sort of a delayed gratification. So we do some fasting in our lives. It's not foreign to us. But spiritual fasting, that's, that's different. If you were to ask people or, or do some research on fasting, the, the result wouldn't be people talking about spiritual fasting. No, the, the number one thing right now that's trending is intermittent fasting. I'm, I bet you've heard of it. You've read an article about it. You may have been advised to it. There's some great medical and health benefits to intermittent fasting. But if you were to tell people to do intermittent fasting spiritually, they might look at you weird. They might say, why, why would I do that? Right? I, don't, I don't need fasting to get closer to God or to become holy. And that's true. That is actually true. As we look at fasting in the Bible, spiritual fasting in the Bible, it is not obligatory. It's not commanded. With one exception, the Day of Atonement, the people of Israel are told that they shall fast. They shall mourn and grieve and lament their sin and the sin of their community and that they are to hold a fast and to reflect on their sinfulness and then to, of course, receive God's forgiveness. But other than that, we're not commanded otherwise. Uh, Christians especially are not commanded uh, to fast. Jesus does talk about it, and we see fasting throughout the Bible. Here are some examples. Fasting for consecration. You dedicate yourself to God. We see this in the book of Joshua. Joshua dedicates himself to God before the battle, fasts that they would have uh, victory, that Joshua would be used in the battle. There's fasting for repentance. I just shared the Day of Atonement, fasting for repentance. There's fasting for lament, not only on the Day of Atonement, but like King David at the loss of, uh, though he had a toxic relationship with King Saul, he fasts for King Saul or his best friend Jonathan. He won't eat anything because he is fasting. He is lamenting a death. And fasting for prayer requests. There's the famous Daniel fast. The prophet Daniel fasts and uh, is asking for God to share wisdom and for God to uh, intervene in his life. So that's fasting in the Hebrew scriptures. In the New Testament, we see it referred to in the book of Acts. The church gathers together to pray um, and they fast. The disciples of Jesus, we know, um, are, or the disciples of John, we know, were fasting and asking Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting? Why? What's going on there? And Jesus tells them, well, why would they fast when the bridegroom is still with them? And for you to understand that, of course, is God, Jesus is uh, making a reference that uh, weddings in those times are completely unlike any wedding we have. I think the closest thing we have to it uh, is a non-frustrating um, destination wedding right? <laughs> the non-frustrating version of that, uh, where you go for multiple days, you might meet up. So weddings in the time of Jesus, there are multiple days. People are all invited. Uh, they are invited. The cousin you never knew is invited. Uh, the uncle and the pet dog are invited. Everyone's invited, right, to the big party. So it's, it's huge. You have lots of food. There's lots of dancing, um, and everyone is invited. And Jesus is saying, right now we're feasting because I am with you. 
but a time will come when they will fast because the bridegroom is taken away. Of course, he's speaking about his own death. And so that is what frames for Christians fasting. Because fasting is not a way to grow closer to God. No, fasting reveals that God is already closer to you than your very own breath. It doesn't draw us closer to God. It reveals that God is already closer to us than our very own breath. How? For a number of reasons. One is as people will report whether they're spiritually fasting or not, fasting helps you to focus. The energy and time that it takes to plan for a meal, to prepare a meal, and then to consume the meal, that's taken away for a moment, and you're hyper-focused on a task. Fasting also redirects us. It breaks our usual and regular rhythms from the ordinary of everyday life. It interrupts us and causes us, as interruptions do, to pause and to reflect. I think fasting shows us our mortality. John Calvin, a great theologian of the church, talks about the humbling of oneself in fasting. Like as we did with Ash Wednesday, with the mark of the cross and the, the ashes, there's nothing special or magical about that. It's a symbol of our humanity that we are made of dust and to dust we shall return. When you fast, we realize how important food is, how dependent we are on food and therefore how dependent we are on our provider. Fasting also allows us more time for the other spiritual disciplines. It's the gateway discipline. It allows more time for prayer and meditation and scripture reading. It allows more time spent in community and with God. Fasting also reveals what controls us. The book that we're reading as part of this sermon series is Richard Foster's Celebration of Disciplines. And you've got the bulletin cover quote in which he says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. You see, because the weird relationship we have with food isn't just about eating. It's why we eat. Fasting reveals our fears that we won't have enough. Scarcity mindset. Where will our next meal come from? Studies have shown that those who grew up in impoverished households will show this most in their daily decisions. Even if they're successful, even when they've grown up, they will show tendencies towards scarcity thinking because of what they experienced in their insecure childhood, which is why it's so important to have early intervention programs for children around nutrition and health, among other resources. Fasting also reveals our feelings around our bodies. See, the thing about the calorie counting that we were talking about earlier and the fad and the diet fads and all the restrictions is often we feel insecure about our bodies, how they look, how we want them to look for others. Fasting reminds us of food 
reminds us of the guilt we might have around food, the shame we might have around food and our insecurity. Fasting, I think, also reminds us of the jealousy we might have, the celebrities that we ask about their, their eating habits and how we can eat like them so that we can look like them because we're jealous of how they look. But oh, how little we know about their inner lives. Fasting reminds us that we often treat food as comfort and it works. It's effective. Studies show this. We eat our feelings. It's true. When we're angry, when we're sad, there's nothing like our favorite food, the indulging food. But we go to extremes, don't we, with food? We go to extremes when we eat our feelings. Fasting reveals those extremes, reveals an inner life. For Christians, fasting is not about getting in shape, though there's nothing wrong with that. Fasting is not simply about being disciplined, though that is a great benefit. Fasting isn't about getting focused, though that is useful. These are all tertiary benefits, secondary benefits. The central thing for Christians that I invite us to in this season to practice the discipline of fasting, even if it's for one day, if you've never tried it, or if you have to challenge yourself for more than one day, maybe it's a week, but that your fasting would be framed by something deeper. You see, because when we see fasting through the lens of Matthew chapter 9, we realize that what we're fasting for, what we're hungering intentionally for, is for the kingdom of God to be finally and fully established. You see, it is at the end of the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus is at the final meal with his disciples before he is to go to the cross and to die as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. He says to his disciples, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You see, fasting is a way of pointing to the kingdom that in Jesus Christ has come, that through the church by the power of the Spirit is being lived out however imperfectly, however much we catch only glimpses of it, but will be one day, shall be one day, fully and finally established. We long, we hunger for, we fast for that promised kingdom in which there will no longer be injustice. There will no longer be hungry and houseless and poor, the outcast and sick, the imprisoned. There will be no more war and no invasions and no talk of biological and chemical weapons that terrorize and destroy. But the beloved community will dwell in the peaceable kingdom. That is why we fast. 
That is why we're invited to fast. We don't fast to earn God's love. We fast to continue experiencing God's love by longing for the day of Jesus Christ. And so what do we do now? Do we just wait for that day with our arms crossed and do nothing? No, no, no. Because those early disciples, after the sacrifice of Jesus, yes, they will fast, the book of Acts tells us. They will fast and they will act as Isaiah, in the, in, in the spirit of Isaiah and Jesus. They will work for justice and for peace. They will work for kindness and for compassion. And so in this Lenten fast, whether you do it for a day where very practically you give up perhaps two meals and remember your mortality, focus on the words of Jesus and on the sacrifice, his perfect sacrifice on the cross. When you fast and see what is really going on within you and hand that over to God in full assurance of your forgiveness, I invite us as individuals, as a community of faith, as leaders, as employees and bosses and owners of company and, and homemakers and whatever our profession might be, that we might fast from hurting words. We might instead say kind ones. That we would fast from gossip. That we would instead encourage others. That we would fast from rushing to judgment and condemnation before hearing all the stories. That we would fast from despair, be filled with hope, that we would fast from constantly complaining and instead contemplate on the great gifts we are given, even in the gift of food. That we would fast from always rushing and being busy and instead being prayerful. That we would fast from bitterness. That we would practice joy that we would fast from always filling in the silence and listen to what the Spirit is saying. Let's do that as we long for the kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.